<laughs> my son, I was sitting next to my son the other day. He was watching TV, and he was holding up his blanket in his ear next to, uh, in his hand next to his face to block me. Oh. Just watching the show like that. Oh, no. Yeah. How old is he? Three. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. And today, we've got a special guest. Yeah, this is episode 115, and uh, we're going to talk about being happier today. And uh, we don't do interviews on the podcast, mainly because uh, I'm not that intrigued by interviews. But occasionally, we'll bring a friend on. Uh, our live events, and uh, we'll have a little bit of a conversation. But this is our first in-studio episode with a guest. So, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Harris is here with yeah, us. Thanks for coming, man. I'm honored. Thank yeah. you. I well, hope I, I hope I don't prove the case that you shouldn't have guests. Well, this is this is the <laughs> test. We're only going to test it once. I just hope this doesn't turn into the Dan Harris podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a danger. I'm not going to lie to you. We're open to that. I'm just okay. kidding, man. <laughs> so, so the reason we don't do interviews is um, I'm just a bad interviewer and so i would just ask bad questions but so we do with i our don't po- believe that well i mean i i would say something like hey dan you've done coca- cocaine before and you <laughs> meditate have you ever meditated on cocaine i like that question <laughs> people don't typically ask that no but i like the questions that people don't typically ask okay well well we'll get to that one hopefully uh but what we, what we do is we turn to our audience for the questions uh for this podcast and so we've got some questions for our, from our audience today. We've got some people who called in and asked some questions, and we also got some some lightning round questions. But for those of you who are uninformed, Dan Harris is the author of a book called Ten Percent Happier," which came out four years ago, yeah. and it totally changed my perspective on meditation. It, because much like you, I was well in my twenties, especially I was like this suit and tie corporate guy, and so was Ryan. And I heard the word meditation, and I was allergic to it. Mm-hmm. Right, and and then. Uh, Sam Harris recommended your book and I read it and the thing that I loved about it is A, it was incredibly well written and, Thank you. And, as, as a memoir and, and the story really like pulled me into it but then it helped me understand this shift in mindset that got you to meditate. So you had a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a meltdown on national TV for those uh, people who don't know. Um, Dan is the anchor on Nightline, also uh, Good Morning America on the weekends, and you were in front of five million people and uh, all of a sudden had a panic attack. And uh, that led you to this this time of sort of self-reflection and realizing some things needed to change. And so I looked at that book as very much a, a why-to book, and now you have a new book out. It's called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. And it is a how-to book. That's a, I love that framing. I'm going to steal that. I'm not going to give you any credit. <laughs> that's, that's fine. We'll edit this out so you don't have to give us the credit. Um, but and I, I think the two complement each other really well because you had this, this why-to side of things. And I think that's important. In fact, when Ryan and I dive into minimalism, you, you never, you'll never hear us talk about the 83 ways that you can declutter your sock drawer. Because 
I'm less intrigued by the how-to side of things at first because I think you need the leverage, the why-to side of things. So I think the how-to is a perfect complement once you understand why it's important. Mm -hmm. If you don't know why it's important, you might start meditating and then you do it for a day or two days. You're like, well, why am I doing this? This is stupid. I'm not getting any benefit immediately. My life hasn't changed over the weekend of meditating and all of a sudden I'm I'm going to walk away from, from this as opposed to, to realizing, oh, why do I need to do this? Why do I need to add this, this clarity or... Or why do I need to regain some, uh, uh, I don't know how, how you would describe it, but for me, meditation has been a way to um, calm the chaos yeah. in, in a, a world. It's not about removing myself from the chaos. And, and I see so many parallels between the meditation side of things and, and minimalism. If they're on a Venn diagram, I'm sure that there's a ton of overlap. But the thing that minimalism has, has done for me, it's not getting away from the world and becoming a monk or an ascetic. It is allowing me to function in a world that is relatively chaotic by, by removing that, that desire of constantly consuming and, and allowing me to let go of not just the stuff, but the desire to endlessly bring the objects into my life. You know, the average human being is going to own millions of possessions over his or her lifetime. And the average American household has 300,000 items in it. So we have all this chaos around us. And it's not about removing myself from that and just becoming a peripatetic traveling monk. It's about how do I function in this world a bit better? Mm -hmm. And I think what you've done with meditation is a way to say, okay, I don't have to meditate 18 hours a day. I don't have to constantly be on retreat. I, I, I need to step back. And maybe I can even enjoy meditation. I think that's the, the thing that your new book outlines well is um, your co-author sort of set up this exercise of, of how do what, wouldn't it be such a novel idea if I enjoyed this mm -hmm. thing called meditation? That was hard for me. And it's, it's still hard for me. Um, so I think what, what we'd like to do today is we, we've got some questions. We'll dive into it and we can, we can go in a bunch of different directions based on these questions. Uh, one of my favorite sort of pedagogical techniques is if I don't have a good answer to a question, we'll just answer a different question and oh, yeah. you know, move around a you little know, Robert bit. Robert McNamara, who had to sell the Vietnam War to America, uh, which was obviously a tough job, mm -hmm. used to say that don't answer the question you've been asked, answer the question you wish you had been asked. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, uh, that's a good tactic. Well, and, and you're in media, so you, you also understand <laughs> that that's... Uh, um, Sometimes people ask you a question and they're actually asking you a different question yeah, that's at the true. same time. That's true. So what is the question behind the yeah, question? That's really actually very true. So let's dive into a few of these questions. Our first question is from Coral in Bend, Oregon. I found minimalism through your podcast and honestly it has put a definition on a pre existing part of my life that I didn't quite understand or know how to express. People think it's crazy for a twenty something year old not to have a TV, computer, or Wi Fi at home, but now I can just call it minimalism. Your podcast has really exposed the fact that I could be so much happier. I know now that I can make changes to be happier day to day. I don't need to feel bad for hating my quote-unquote secure job that I worked so hard to obtain. I can move to a different city that better serves my individual needs, and I can obtain financial freedom by eliminating my debt. Um, the problem is, the more clearly I can see how truly happy I can be in the future, the more discontented I am today. I can't pay my debt overnight. Um, I don't have a plan for leaving my job quite yet. I realize that even when I do find a more fulfilling job or pay my debt off, it won't be like, well, that's it. I reached the summit. I no longer need to grow as an individual. Um, so what kind of recommendations can you guys make 
um, for me to focus on being happier today? That's a great question, Coral. Dan? <laughs> Dan, can you help her be 10% Man, happier? I bet Dan's got a great answer for this one. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, what's fascinating here is I think once you put a name on something, I mean, for me, like I said, I heard the word meditation and, and uh, the same thing with, with minimalism. I think minimalism was the most perfect word and also the most imperfect word to describe because it, it conjures these sort of stark images mm-hmm. of white walls and owning no possessions and and, and the person who lives out of a dumpster or a, a backpack or whatever. And, and um, it can be that. And I think the same thing with meditation. It can be the Buddhist monk who does nothing but meditate. But it can also be a person who uses it to function better and, and to be, well, as, as I'm sure you get endless jokes about being 10% happier at this point, just like, and, and we get the, the same jokes about minimalism where it's... Uh, everything we do is steeped in irony. Yeah, yes. everything <laughs> becomes ironic. And so <laughs> if, uh, if, there, if you have a moment of discontent in your life, Dan, I, I assume someone's asking you, uh, how do you become 10% happier? Oh, yes, um, yes. And, and, um, but of course, the, the thesis of that first book was... Uh, that 10% happier compounds year over year over mm-hmm. year over year. And then over the course of you know a decade, you're 100% happier. Or Actually, that's not how compound interest works, but it would be quicker than a yeah. decade. But, but um, I'm not good at math either, so, you know, so <laughs> don't look at me for the answer. <laughs> anyway, uh, and I, I think that's the point is, is quite often we want the quick fix. And I think that's why minimalism can be appealing at first because it's like, I'll just get all my stuff and be happy. And I... I often have to tell people like, no, that's that's the initial bite at the apple. That that's the thing that will. That our short answer is minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things, <laughs> so we can make room for life's most important things, which aren't things at all. And and so, so I think it's the same thing with meditation. It has to do with well, and I don't think the only thing that's going to make Coral happier here is well, you're going to have to sit down and meditate for an hour a day. But um, she's identified some some problems in her life and 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 now she's focusing on the problems and I think the one thing that I would say and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it is that she's in a place of discomfort but it doesn't have to be a place of discontent in fact I think the two are often opposite I think uh, in fact I was just having coffee with your wife earlier and we were talking about um, the struggle and of of having kids. You have a four year old. You have a three year old, and and it's a meaningful experience, but it's also really difficult. But I think most things that are that are uncomfortable that that struggle lead to a particular kind of contentment. And 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 I struggle immensely. I don't know if you still struggle as much with meditation, but I still struggle with, with meditating. It seems like a struggle, and and trying to enjoy it is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's my analytical brain, but I am. I'm at a point where I I, I find that it's necessary, but I I, I don't necessarily enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've got this funny situation where you've said about 15 things that I want to respond to, and I'm <laughs> right. just trying to like line the planes up on the runway to figure out. But let me start with Coral, since I like her more than I like either of you. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So Coral's thing is really interesting and I think she's achieved more of a victory than she's giving herself credit for Mm -hmm. 
the well first of all there's the victory of of having latched onto your philosophy which sort of matched a pre-existing philosophy that she had that she didn't have a name for and really having a sense now of how she wants to reorient her life that's obviously a victory but then another victory that i don't think she's giving herself credit for is seeing the discontent that is with her right now seeing that she's living for some future state as opposed to what's happening right now and that is the first step toward actually addressing it because you you know most of us have there's this great phrase from a writer who I often make fun of but his name is Eckhart Tolle he has this phrase the background static of perpetual discontent mm. that we have this uh, it's what the Buddhists call suffering they don't when the Buddhists talk about suffering the, the Buddha's first his principal pronouncement after having achieved enlightenment whatever that is was life is suffering um, it's often it's actually a bit of a mistranslation uh, suffering means uh, if you live your life only uh, trying to get things you want and trying to avoid things you don't want it will be inherently unsatisfying because you live in a chaotic impermanent universe where you can't control much mm-hmm. and uh, so what she's engaged in or what she's starting to get in touch with is the suffering that's involved with living for a future state and but not being in any way happy right now the new age trope that has the unfortunate um uh attribute of being correct is that we right now is all we ever get the future she's envisioning will be experienced as right now when it arrives mm. and everything that happened to her in the past happened right now and so this all gets around to me making the pitch i makes all the time make all the time is one way to sort of uh one practice that can help you get out of living for a future state and actually living right now and wringing as much pleasure and joy and satisfaction and meaning out of what's happening right now is dot 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 meditation it's very good for that um and it is basically this exercise for the brain and the mind where you learn over and over to see that you're caught in these knots of future-oriented thinking or jealousy or anger or planning or whatever it is your mental hobgoblin of the moment may be and you can let it go and um it's not magic it doesn't work all the time but i think it works 10 percent of the time um (laughs) And it can be something, I think for many beginners, uh, it is, and I would put myself at kind of the end of the beginning because I've been doing it for about nine years. And um, Some people, I mean, I'm imagining Coral right now saying, wait, you're still a beginner after nine years. That's, that's disheartening. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, or that that's is. That's right. That's right. Um, it turns me off, so I don't even want to have to. That's I don't kind of encouraging to, me, to me, though. Yeah. Because it's, it's like being a beginner in nine years, it makes me feel like, oh. It's okay. I mean, I think this should be an encouraging thing for Coral. Like, oh, yeah, like, man, if, if you're still a beginner in nine years, it's okay that I'm a beginner day one. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I, one, one way to think about it is I often compare meditation to exercise because it is exercise for your brain. Absolutely. And it shows up on the brain scans. I mean, you're changing your brain as you do it. I uh, have been exercising for a long time, 46 years old. I've been exercising since recess, right? But I am never going to play pro sports and that doesn't stop me from exercising you know i don't need people there's something about some people's approach to meditation by the way i'm one of these people that they go they want to win at it Mm. um as if it's it's something you can win yeah or 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 it's even if it's not a competition (laughs) with other people it's a competition with yourself sure uh and 
Um, and it, or, or they get into this whole story about how they're failed meditators because the first time they sit down and meditate, they're distracted a lot. That if I handed you a flute, like you couldn't play Jethro Tull immediately. <laughs> this med- this meditation is a skill that you learn over time. And by the way, it takes can take you know a lifetime to get really good at it, whatever that even means. Right, and, and I think that's the problem is because being handed the flute, you, you have sort of this outcome. And at some point, you're, you're, whether it's playing a sport or a musical instrument, there is an outcome where people can sort of check the box and say, I've done this, this, and this, and now I've acquired the skill set. And, and with meditation, I think people struggle because it's a bit nebulous. Yeah, I'll, give you, I'll give you an outcome. Yeah. Are you less of an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, yeah and, and the... the Quite often, you're not the one that gets to quantify that. That's right. Though, right? That's my wife is uh, the uh, sitting on the couch over there, and <laughs> she. I, 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 you tell me, Bianca, if I say this correctly. I think she would say I'm less of an asshole. However, I contain. I retain the capacity to be a schmuck on occasion, <sighs> and um, but it's about that trend in the right direction. And if you're looking for a box to yeah. check. That's a great box to check. Yeah, and, but I've noticed this with you. You are a master self-deprecator. Um, you, you do a really good job of, of well, deprecating yourself to, to the extent that, like, I'm an asshole or I am a uh, schmuck is, is the word that, that uh, or, or I'm fidgety. It's in the yes, title yes. Of, of your new book. And, and I, want, I think that is one way to humble yourself, but, but also... If I look at the flip side of that, does does is that also just a defense mechanism that you you throw up beforehand? Um, and and if so, um, does does that abdicate you from the responsibility of just not being an asshole without without meditating? No, I mean I my well it may be there may be all sorts of subconscious currents that feed my self-deprecation that I'm unaware of, but to the extent I'm aware of it, I use it as a tactic for the following reason, which is I am positioning myself uh, as the anti-guru, uh-huh. and I've found that a very useful tactic is to tell the truth. Right. Yeah. And it happens to be the truth that I'm flawed in many, many hilarious ways, some of them actually not so hilarious if you happen to be my wife. And, uh, and, and what I, why I think that's useful is that one of the great things about meditation is not that you conquer all of your neuroses, but that you instead, in the words of a great meditation teacher, become a connoisseur of your neuroses. And if you can't have a sense of humor in that endeavor, you are fucked. And <laughs> that is the point. Yeah. No, I always think like the best way for me to, um, oh, I don't know, like all my imperfections, to like not let them be as bad as, as imperfections as I like, call them out. Because if I shine light on them, then like no one else can shine light on them. And I can also, like you do, talk to people how I've been able to overcome these imperfections. So yeah, I, I think it's great that you do that. I want to talk about, uh, if I may, Corals talks about happiness. And I, I want to get your, your thoughts on this, man. I think that in Western society, I mean, it's written in our constitution, we must pursue happiness. Mm. Now, um, don't get me wrong, I love to be happy. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that uh, happiness uh, isn't something that, that I like to have, but I feel like growing up in my 20s, when I was in that uh, crazy you know, corporate world, working 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week, man, I was chasing happiness mm-hmm. so much. In fact, I would argue that I would actually get it every once in a while. But it was something that was very fleeting. It's like I would get that new car and I was happy until that first car payment or I'd go on that vacation and it was great until I got the credit card bill the next month. 
Um, but but I feel like happiness is something that, for me now, uh, it's not the point. Happiness is um, happiness again. I love it, and and I want to have as much happiness as I can in my life. For me though, I think uh, living a meaningful life is is my, my purpose, and I think happiness is kind of this this byproduct uh, that that happens from living a meaningful life. So with Coral, you know, what I, the question I want her to ask herself is like, what does living a meaningful life, what does that mean for her? Because I think that will help her get to the happiness. Um, what do you think, man? Do you think happiness is too much of a focus right now? Am I totally way off base with that? Or Well, I'd just like to ask you, how are you defining happiness? Because based on what I just heard from you, I suspect that you're conflating excitement with happiness. Yeah, I, I, would, I, I would absolutely say that for me, the definition of happiness would be uh, some type of elation. Yeah, or getting what you want. Yeah, or, or it would be some type of excitement. And that is really fleeting. Yes. So, I, I, so, so maybe it's not maybe it's not her chasing happiness, but maybe how she perceives happiness. I think she's like so far on her way that mm. she's identified the things that will make her life more meaningful. She's taking the steps. All she's, she, I think, the rut into which she has fallen, which is a minor one and easy to get out of, is that she's so focused on achieving this halcyon future she's created for herself that she's refusing to enjoy what she has right now. She mm-hmm. should take an enormous amount of pride in in the reorientation that she's undergoing and do her best to enjoy that process, which is in f- just freighted with meaning. But happiness, I just want to get back to that for a yeah. second. Because happiness, the, the root of the word represents our cultural ambivalence about the subject. Hap, H-A-P, is the same root of the word haphazard or hapless. It means luck. Oh, wow. And um, so it's basically a shitty word, and it doesn't (laughs) really mean anything. Um, And the only reason I used it in the title of uh, my first book was because it's the word most of us use when we talk about mental well-being. Absolutely. But there are much more specific words that actually have a higher bar for in terms of meaning um, well, have a higher value words? meaning yeah. um well-being mm-hmm. uh kindness compassion patience inner peace calm mm-hmm. um w- these are all attributes that we want and as it turns out they are trainable mm-hmm. through meditation but i just want to say one other thing the best definition i've heard of happiness whatever because i've asked a lot of these g- gurus and meditation teachers what is happiness and I was asking this guy, Dr. Mark Epstein, who's a, a great writer. My, Bianca gave me a, a book by him that led me to meditation, actually. And it was called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart, but he's written many books. Um, he, I, was, I was having dinner with him, and I asked him, what's, what's your definition of happiness? And he said something that was initially very unsatisfying, mm-hmm. um, more of the good and less of the bad. Now, okay, mm-hmm. so that sounds a little, I don't know. But think about it like, uh, I'm shitty at math. We've already established that, but I'm now going to use a math analogy, like a geometry analogy. So if you think about a graph, it has a, a Y axis, which runs up and down, and an X axis, which runs horizontally. So in psychology, there is an, this idea of a happiness set point, so which would be the X axis, which kind of runs uh, side to side. That good things can happen to you. So on the y-axis, it would go above x. In other words, your happiness would go high. But then, generally, it reverts to the set point. Right. Bad things happen, you go below, and then you revert to the set point. Mm-hmm. 
My thing of what happens with meditation is that the top of that graph, the good stuff, gets higher and more sustained because you are enjoying the good things that happen to you and you aren't rushing off to the next hit of dopamine as you were doing in your 20s with the car and then the car payment, et cetera, et cetera. And then the lower end of the of the graph, the bad when bad things happen to you, it gets shallower because you're not engaging in so much useless rumination, and you're able to recover f- more quickly. And then I would say simultaneously mm. that the happiness set point itself, the x-axis, goes up. Mm. That is more of the good and less of the bad, and f- that is a workable, serviceable definition of happiness for me. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and I think the word happy that you use in your book, I think it was the perfect word because your book doesn't say here's how to be happy. It's here's how to be 10% happier. And and with that, uh, it takes a lot of work for sure. So no, I, I agree. Coral is on the right path. She needs to keep up the hard work. Um, but yeah, maybe something like meditation could totally help her take a minute and realize that what she does have, uh, maybe she could be happy with and also help her uh, to to uh, yeah look forward to what she has coming down the, the road for. And give herself a pat on the back for what she's done already. Absolutely. Which sounds actually quite towering. Well, I think that that's the other thing. I mean, there's this old cliche, right, about um, about gratitude, and, and and we hear all of these these, these sort of uh, trite sayings about gratitude, and they've been turned into successories posters or whatever. But I think the truth is, we are what we focus on, and 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 if we're focusing on the moment on what we don't have, I mean, that that seems to always be the thing. Ryan and I wrote this essay a few years ago about Christmas. It was called The Worst Christmas Ever. And it, there's this, this kid in the story. It was based off of a, a, a real event that happened. That This kid is going through his Christmas presents and opening them all up and really happy in the moment, right? Like ecstatic pleasure in that one moment. Then he discards the toy and moves on to the next thing. And the, by the end of, of opening his 10 or 12 presents, he didn't get the one present that he wanted. He, he wanted this, you know, uh, uh, Optimus Prime thing or whatever. And that's the only thing that he was focused on. And so, like, he was overcome with discontent, even though a moment ago he had, you know, sort of 12 spikes on, on the, the, the dopamine uh, um, seismograph or whatever. Like, he, he, he had all of... He, he had all of the happiness in the moment, but it was absolutely fleeting. And it really had to do with what he was focused on in, in the moment. Now, um, his excuse is he doesn't have a fully developed prefrontal, <laughs> prefrontal cortex, but, but we don't have this and excuse. And he has horrible parents. <laughs> <laughs> we don't judge, man. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the truth is that like, we do the same thing. It's just on a much grander mm. scale. And that's what right. the Buddha was talking about when he talked about suffering. Yeah. That if your whole life is oriented around getting what you think you want, the pleasure won't last. And, and if you think that you're going to permanently avoid uh, the unpleasant, I got some bad news for you. And so can you achieve equanimity in the face of whatever it is arises? Mm. That is what you, that is the skill, one of the skills you're training in meditation. It's not, again, it's not magic. It can be hard to do, um, but it is a worthwhile endeavor. Mm. In my view. Can I just address though, what you were saying about enjoyment? Yes. Because I don't want to let that pass when I, that was one of the planes I want to get off the runway from before, <laughs> because it's really important. And I want, I want to hear a little bit more from you about your meditation practice. When you say that you're not enjoying it, what do you mean by that? I find that, um, but there's, there's this old saying that writers don't like writing. They like having written. Yes. So, so I, I feel I, that way. I don't. I actually, I'm one of the few writers who enjoys the process more than the artifact. Oh man, I, I'm so jealous. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with meditation. It's a flip flop here, right? Where, where 
Um, for me, in the moment, like I do feel an ecstatic pleasure, probably 50% of the time. The other 50% of the time, I want to put my head through a wall because writing is really hard. But eventually, you get to a point where there's something that is is good and and rewarding in a way that that nothing else is rewarding for me. And um, I assume there there's that place in meditation. I just haven't gotten there yet. I'm still in. So I teach a writing class, and and the thing that I tell students is when you first start, eighty percent of the time you're going to want to put your head through a wall. Yeah. And eventually, after enough writing, it's going to be seventy percent of the time. But there's still going to be seven out of ten days are going to be bad days for you, and it gets better. And I don't think it ever gets better than fifty fifty with respect to writing. And I don't know if that those numbers feel right to you for meditation, but I haven't gotten past the the eighty twenty. It's where I, where I still do the meditation, and I have some things that help me that, that help me through the process. Um, I, I like to meditate in a sauna, and it, it it sort of facilitates focus in a way that like it it sort of forces my mind to to calm down. But um, or maybe in a deprivation tank. Um, but I found that that for me it's. It's still hard to enjoy. I can just sit there and it's like just, you're, and, and then I get mad at myself for not enjoying it, right? And then that, that goes back to the competition thing. Like I'm competing with myself. Okay, so I hear so much in what you're saying. And by the way, while I'm about to offer you some corrections, I don't, I don't want you to think there's any judgment in it because I have fallen prey to the exact same psychology that you're describing. So just no brothers from another mother, but... The, pro, the error I'm hearing in your thinking, and you should jump in if I've misheard you, uh, the most noxious thing you can bring to the meditation party is expectation. Mm-hmm. You are wanting to feel a certain way, and desire, way back to the days of the Buddha, is a classic hindrance to meditation. Yeah. It's a weird video game where you can't make progress if you want to make progress. <laughs> and so actually, the, the attitude to bring to meditation is, it, I, 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 it doesn't matter what I'm feeling, the only game is to see whatever I'm feeling clearly. Mm. Why? Because when you see your inner chaos clearly, it doesn't own you. And so it doesn't matter if you sit down and you're totally distracted and you have to start over and over and over again, that's actually a good sit. Because you're seeing your distraction. When you see your distraction, that is a victory, and it's a victory of real consequence. What's the consequence? The consequence is you are seeing clearly your inner cacophony, and that cacophony has less purchase over your actions. And so if you sit and you're overcome by restlessness, sadness, anger, doubt about... Doubt is one of the most insidious things in meditation, which is this, am I doing it right? Is it worth it? Blah, blah, blah. Then if you see it clearly and just go back to your point of focus, which is usually your breath... That is meditation. And it, it, it doesn't matter what you feel because getting to a special state is irrelevant. The, you're building a skill here, and the skill is mindfulness, which is just the ability to see what's happening in your mind at any given moment without getting carried away by it. And so the, the content of what you're seeing is irrelevant to the skill you're training. And when you approach meditation that way, the world's your oyster. It's funny, man, because I was thinking when you were talking about your meditation practice, I'm like, I don't want to even talk about my meditation practice because it really hasn't changed much from when we, we talked to you last Doesn't on, matter. on your podcast. Doesn't matter. And it's made me feel so much better about it, though. Yes. <laughs> because You should. Because honestly, like I, it, it does a lot for me. It, I can totally tell the difference. But I go into it with no expectation. That's beautiful. And I'm like, you know what? I, I have a half hour right now. 
And, and if I can only concentrate for a minute, then that's what I'll do. This is why you're the more popular minimalist. Mm, that's not true. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to foment some yeah, sort of like, because no, really you guys always act that, like you though. like each other so much, even like off camera. I'm like, can they really like each other that much? Can I drive a wedge? Is that possible? Oh, He's just man. so handsome. I know, man. I mean, I agree with you. I should be the most popular minimalist. <laughs> with that you should be <laughs> i know i don't know what's up with that <laughs> well coral uh thanks for your but question did i get you right did i get you uh, right yeah, you're you're, uh, you're you're spot on so okay uh the two words i thought about before this was expectation um and there was another desire ex word that oh. that really really stood out um that i'm blanking on i'm sure it'll come back but coral real quick i want to send you a copy of both of dan's books um Dan, you probably don't know this, but we bought a case of your of ten percent happier a while ago, and we often I hand it out to friends, oh, and wow. family really members, cool. and thank you. I autograph it and say it's from you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an autograph book. I don't say it's Dan's. You mean he autograph. did not autograph that book you gave me? <laughs> well, it's an autograph book. I mean, there is an autograph. Okay, in it. fair. This is not the right dude. <laughs> I found some guy named Dan. Anyway, I'd love to see a copy of, of both of Dan's books, uh, Tempers and Happier and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. Uh, we'll have Sean reach out to you, Coral, and send you both of those. Uh, our next question is from Lucinda in Sydney, Australia. I'm just getting ready to go on a trip, and I've had this heart, this gut-kicking, gut gut-wrenching moment where I've realized I've minimized a wallet that contained a fair bit of cash. Um, I'm just one, and, and you know, feeling the kind of feeling arc I'm going through is, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have been so reckless in my, um, minimizing. I'm just wondering if either of you guys have had that experience and what helped you just let it go. Um, cause I guess what's done is done and there's not much I can do about it now, but yeah, I just found a kind of, um, made me sort of mentally unwinding whether, um, minimizing stuff was a great idea when um, you make stupid mistakes like that. So Dan, she's asking about this this wallet and it had cash in it. And we were just talking about desire and we were talking about expectations, but there's another feeling that's in there and it's that, that feeling of regret mm. and uh, letting go of something and then and then regretting it or or taking some sort of action and then regretting it. Um, I don't know if you could, if you, um, can talk about how meditation has helped out with, with regret or obviously it's helped you let go yeah. the same way that, that minimalism has helped us let go of physical things. It, I think meditation quite often helps us let go of, of these internal things. Yes, definitely. So the, um, the Buddhists have this idea of the middle way. And, and by the way, when I talk about Buddhism, um, I can't believe, by the way, that I'm a dude who like, regularly talks about Buddhism. This is not <laughs> what I would have predicted for myself. When I talk about it, I'm talking about it from a religious perspective. I'm talking about it as a set of practices and a philosophy yeah. um, that happens to be, in my view, brilliant. Um, so the middle way is that we tend to approach most things in our lives like from a binary standpoint, like mm. pleasant or unpleasant um, uh, happy or sad, um, uh, and sunny or, or cloudy, but actually, generally speaking, there's a lot of nuance. So when you're dealing with things um, that you've done that you feel badly about, so the, the two options that are usually on the table for people are denial or um, flagrant self-laceration. But actually, there is there is this option that the Buddhists talk about of wise remorse. Mm. I think actually there's something to look at. At maybe she was Lucinda, right? She was yeah. perhaps a little bit 
heedless maybe yeah. in in her minimizing mm-hmm. she was excited about it um and she took it perhaps a little too far it's worth reflecting on that it is not however worth going into a spiral of shame out of which she has trouble pulling herself and um and again, meditation is useful for this on two levels. One is what I just discussed, sort of the Buddhist philosophy of being aware that there is such a thing as sort of wise remorse that allows you to examine your behavior without, you know, like getting suicidal. Um, where meditation as a practice is useful is it boosts your self-awareness so that you can see when you've crossed the line between wise remorse and useless uh, self-recrimination. Mm. So, so when, when, I, when I look at her, I think of this, there was a time a few years ago um, where, now I'm a minimalist, so I don't own a whole lot of clothes, right? And Although I like the jacket you were wearing when I saw you this morning. Well, thank Montclair. you. Montclair. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I was like, this is a, a high-class minimalist here. <laughs> well, I, you know, I actually Montclair. got it from eBay. Oh, you did? Uh, <laughs> that's my secret. I shouldn't tell anyone. I would, but, uh, no, I was just going to say, you know, being a minimalist, um, you have to have really nice hair. Yes. And you have to have really nice clothes, just not a lot of them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and and well, I, I, so I didn't have a whole lot of clothes, but I was going to wash them and you get in the cycle of everyday life. You know how to do this chore you're about to do, whether it's washing dishes or, or, or doing the laundry. And I go to do the laundry and I put all my clothes, all my, my dark clothes in the washing machine and I put the uh, detergent in there and then of course I start pouring the bleach in there. Oof. These are all the clothes that I own functionally um, and realize that as I'm pouring the bleach in there, <laughs> oh shit. And and in that moment I'm like, oh, well, I've, I've obviously done something that is wrong and there's a, a feeling of regret and I think what you're saying there is that feeling is good because hopefully what it's going to get me to do in the future and in the present is to pay closer attention yes. even even to those relatively mundane yes. tasks. Yes. And I can tell you there are a few times, even last week, where I caught myself almost doing that again and it allowed me to like reset me. Oh yeah, remember you did that one thing. I felt that pain. I don't <laughs> want to experience that pain again. Because you know, I had to go back out and 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 buy my, my shirts and pants and all this other stuff because I had ruined basically all of my clothes and I think it's the same thing is yeah you're not going to get that back and how how useful it is it to sit at home and worry about the money that you lost by giving that away in fact you're probably giving up more time worrying about the thing then you, you could actually earn that money back with that same time doing something positive with but it. there's something useful to be learned about how to go about minimizing in a way that's a little bit more mindful same thing with doing the laundry that's in a little bit more mindful yeah. but but where where do you draw the line and I think the self-awareness that comes with meditation can be useful there. Lucinda, congratulations. You screwed up. We all screw up. And what you do when you screw up is what Dan said. You take note of that and you learn from it. And uh, if there's listeners out there, they can learn from it too. Um, remember the one guy at our event who came and he was like, you know, I was minimizing, but my my wife and kids, they keep asking me where stuff is. And, and I look at them, I'm like, oh, sorry, I got rid of that. Um, uh, what do I do? Do you remember we were just like, yeah. dude, you have to have a better plan when you minimize stuff. Yeah, you, you, and, and I think that's the, the thing is uh, we get really excited about when we take on a new task. And I don't, I don't know if you find this in meditation too. I mean, sometimes people dive into the deep end and they get in trouble. If people go on a 10-day retreat and they've never meditated before, you might go to a pretty dark place that that is hard to come back from or you just might be so turned off by the experience you don't ever want to do it again i think it's the same thing with minimalism we had a, a family in philadelphia who rented a dumpster and threw all their stuff in it and their house caught fire because of the dumpster fire 
and thankfully they they realized like the the error of their ways but i could see how that that would turn someone off from ever wanting to let yeah. go of something yeah. ever again yeah yeah, yeah. I, I assume you you did a 10-day retreat recently yeah i just got back from one uh, this is your second ago. or third fourth holy moly awesome. yeah uh so if there was a world champion meditator <laughs> I, trust me there are people who are way more baller than me uh, way 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 um but you know it's true that in some cases if you uh, meditation does actually throw you into a tough space it's pretty rare from what i can tell but if you know what i would say to anybody who has real psychological trauma in their past and is that if you want to meditate that you should do it under uh, professional supervision you should talk to your mental health provider before you do it for most people however even if you went on a 10-day retreat as your first move yeah. well i think that would probably be jarring right. um i actually don't think it would necessarily throw you into a dark place but and, it may, and also it may turn you off I guess it may that, turn you off that's for the other sure. thing that i'm yes. going for is is yeah, I don't think I don't think Lucinda here is going to be like, well, I don't. I got rid of one wallet. I don't ever want to get rid of anything else again. But I could see how it would turn her off yes. from from wanting to let go yeah. and letting go of the physical thing is is somewhat of a a, a metaphor for just letting go in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. Um, just ruminating in this loss is going to do her way more harm than good. Um, uh, what you were talking about um, really reminded me of how you kind of talked about this selfless. Uh, uh, or this useless self-rumination in our documentary. And that has stuck with me um, ever since uh, Matt did that interview with you. So, uh, Lucinda, um, you have mourned your loss, and uh, it's gone. It is a sunk cost at this point. That was one of the biggest, like, uh, just lessons I helped get me through everything when we were uh, going through our minimalist journeys. Um, even today, it still helps me when I look at something, and I'm like, man, I really hate to, to let that go, but sometimes you gotta look at something uh, like a sunk cost, or if I, you know, if I lost something. I have definitely lost money before, and it hurts. But worrying about it is not gonna bring it back. The only thing you can do is really plan better the next time you, you get rid of stuff, Lucinda. So uh, again, congratulations, learn from your mistake, and, and move on. Lucinda, I'd love to send you a copy of our book. It's called Essential. It's uh, 12 different chapters, 150 different essays about living a more intentional life. There's one chapter in there on mindfulness and that bleach story I just told, I wrote an essay about it, about spilling bleach on all of my clothes. And also since you're in Sydney, we're headed over to Australia in March. We're ending the Less Is Now tour in Australia. We're gonna be in seven cities over there in March, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, Adelaide, and oh, we're going back to Melbourne. We got a second show there. So, uh, Sean, if you would reach out to her, give her a couple tickets to that event. We'd love to see you there. I kind of want your life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I wish we were going to Rogan tomorrow. (laughs) We can trade, man. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. That's pretty great. Uh, All right, well, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you all have to say. So if you're listening to this and you have a comment or tip, about happiness or meditation, including any advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. 
It's my favorite part of the show. At the end of each show, we air our favorite comments and tips from our listeners. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. So, Dan, what we do is we take a couple questions from social media. We try to get some uh, tweetable size answers in there. We might ramble just a, a little bit before uh, we get to the answer. But, but yeah, feel free to jump in, man. Okay. But, but no pressure. If you All, right. All right. Indeed. <laughs> we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalists. And as Ryan said, this is where we do our best to answer. Answer, answer each question with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. Although I'm told it's 280 characters now, um, so we'll still still keep it to 140. Yeah, so we uh, we call these minimal maxims, and uh, <laughs> so feel free to in- inject some sort of Zen Cohen in here okay, that will sure, sure. will tidily wrap up the the, uh, the answers here. Our first uh, question, Ryan. All right, our first question is from Christopher. Christopher says, "I love it when I meditate. I clearly see the benefits of meditation." I consume everything I possibly can about it, podcasts, books, apps, etc. But I still find it difficult to actually stop and practice. Any tips to just get her done? Is that like is that a cable guy reference? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so. Nice. <laughs> so so any tips on getting it done? So my, my short answer my short answer would be um, and, and so I I practiced this this morning in fact. Prime the pump. Start each day with a small victory. I find for me that meditation works That's best good. instead of like trying to to um, wait and postpone it to later days. Same thing with exercise. So for me, if I if I have a few small victories set up my day, I feel like the 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 pump has been primed for other bigger successes throughout the day. It's really good. Uh, my answer is pretty simple. Better to have spent a minute meditating than tweeting. <laughs> Now, 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 the irony does not escape me that this is going to be a tweet. But they asked for our advice, so it's a little bit different. <laughs> I would say one minute counts. And it, it, I would just say kind of a version of what both of you said. Now, let me get it down to 140 characters. Um, one minute counts is one minute beautiful. Counts. Yeah, that's one it. minute counts. That's perfect, man. Done. Yeah, when Done. it comes to meditation, one minute counts. Absolutely. Yes. So, so was... Sean puts all the... the uh, uh, Sean's not here today. He's coming out to California today. We're actually so we're we're building a podcast and film studio here in Los Angeles, and right now we are in the palatial estate of Matt Diavella. We're in his kitchen at his kitchen table. Uh, <laughs> I think this is technically the dining room. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, yes, is. at the top of the Hollywood Hills. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and so um, yeah, Sean will put all of our pithy answers in the show notes. What's our next question, Ryan? Our next question is from Sam Wise. How do you maintain happiness and contentment without becoming complacent and stopping moving forward? So, so my, my pithy answer to this one is complacency is not the birthplace of contentment. And, and I, I think quite often, like that's what we're searching for though. When we were talking to Coral earlier, it's like once I get to this magical place, if I have the ideal couch and the ideal painting on the wall, and there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with any of these things. In fact, um, I would argue that many of these things add a particular flavor to life that make it more enjoyable, right? So I'm not against owning things. It's about owning the right things. But we're, we try to get this ideal place of comfort and then wonder why we're miserable. There's a director, Tom Shadyac. Uh, yeah. He uh, he had that uh, documentary come out called I Am. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and so he was sort of in this place where he had achieved that level of, of uh, extreme comfort and and was totally miserable because of it and and so um he because you think you're going to get there and that's the 
the thing about a horizon. Once you reach the horizon, there's always another horizon. Oh, that's pithy too, Sean. You can put that in the notes. Man, after talking to you earlier, I kind of want to rethink my answer here. But what I had written down here is happiness is ephemeral. Living a meaningful life brings lasting rewards. But, you know, now I kind of want to append that because I think the question you asked about the definition of happiness, I don't know why I've never asked that before. I just assumed everyone had the same definition of you have that feeling of elation where, uh, you know, nothing could really bring you down. I guess maybe there are different levels of that elation. But I also know that if you wake up every single morning elated like that, you're probably a manic person (laughs) (laughs) or or you're on drugs. I mean, you you have both talked really openly about, about certain drug addictions in in the past. And I think we, when we try to achieve, and it doesn't have to be through drugs. It can be through achievement, accomplishments, uh, quote success. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we, we create this new baseline that X, Y axis you were talking about earlier where, where the new baseline is, I have to get up and, and take these pills or, or do blow or whatever just to, to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Where, where the new, where the thing that was high has to be the new normal. And, and I think there's a difference in, in reaching that in a way that is unnatural, the, the quick fix, the taking the pill route, and the, the hard work, the non-complacency of meditation Although it can seem complacent at times, right? When you you when I think of meditation, I think of the the the, the World Series of meditation with it with the you know the the Buddhists and in, in a and uh, some sort of ashram somewhere or whatever. I think I'm conflating religions there, but um, uh, I, I I imagine like extreme complacency. I think even in my 20s, I would have looked at those guys as like, uh, what a bunch of beta males or whatever right like what are they doing well i mean i think in part that's because meditation as i like to say has been the victim of the worst marketing campaign for anything ever and and the imagery traditional imagery of our meditation is like a dude in loincloth on the himalayan mountaintop and floating off into a, a bubble of bliss but that isn't actually what it is it's exercise for your brain and that's why high achieving folks at, uh, you know at corporations in the military uh, in entertainment, in athletics, are doing this thing because it makes you more focused and less yanked around by your emotions, which can have a really salutary effect on your professional life. The I think the um, the I don't know if I'll say anything uh, tweetable here, but the this the mistake that the the Twitter question is that is embedded in that question is to conflate happy happiness and complacency Mm. and that they're not the same thing um and uh you know just because you start to this is a very common concern and i certainly had it too when i was getting into meditation because my dad's motto is the price of security is insecurity and i really believe that and you know what i still believe it in many ways that's the tweetable answer right there The the price of security is insecurity because actually, if you want to do anything great, a certain amount of stress and plotting and planning and and worrying is part of the deal. Risk, mm. risk, which which is inherently taking, yes, it, it requires the security. Yeah. Yes, but but that doesn't you know you, you, it doesn't mean uh, that w- what we tend to do is to take to make our stress worse than it needs to be, mm. and the through the self awareness you generate through meditation through mindfulness you can see when you've crossed the line between useless worry and what I call constructive anguish mm-hmm. and that is that's the money because you want to have a certain amount of stress but you don't want to have so much stress that you wear down your uh, resiliency 
or, or effectiveness or focus. So it's a tough balance, and meditation can be very useful on that. I love that, man. Because there, I think uh, someone told me a long time ago in the corporate world. I think um, they were probably not right in this sense, but what they said stuck with me. And, and uh, there was one point where I'm, you know, eighty hour week, and I'm stressing, and and uh, one of my coworkers looks at me and he goes, "You know, str- some stress is good." He's right, and I totally agree. Or with she's that. right, whoever. Yeah, uh, yeah it, no, it was a guy. I mean, I, either way, though. Um, yeah, my my point is, is that. I think again they were wrong in that situation because I was um, I was wearing down yeah um, and I felt myself wearing down um, but I I don't try to avoid all stress in my life I don't think you can or should and I don't think if you're wor- I don't think people should be worried that if they meditate they're going to lose their edge I think what meditation gives you is boost boosted focus lowered emotional reactivity how can either of those things hurt yeah. well speaking of things that hurt I, I think that that. Um, I've had this love-hate relationship with competition, whether it's competition with mm-hmm. myself or competition with others. And um, I was, uh, we were living in Montana for the last five years. I was doing a sauna with, with uh, there's an American Indian tribe up there. And uh, one of the guys said something that really resonated with me. And I don't know that it's true 100% of the time, but he said, we look at competition as mental illness. And he goes, because if you lose, I also lose. And if I win, then you win. Or if you win, I win. And that's how we look at it as our tribe. It's a collective sort of winning. And I think it's the same thing what you're talking about there. I think I think there's probably this middle way where there is a level of competition that is truly toxic, um, where it... Um, where it is damaging to our personal and professional lives. But then I think there's also a useful amount, you know, yeah. there, there's sort of the friendly competition. Yeah. But right? look at that. We're all podcasters here, right? So yeah. it's useful to, for me to look around at whose podcast does really well. What can I learn from them? That is the upside of competition. Yeah. The downside is if I'm walking around rooting for my fellow podcast hosts to fail or, right. or worse, like you're looking <clears throat> down on yourself because you're not doing as well. Oh, that's right. As your other podcast I certainly, hosts. I do, I do a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> well, you but but I shouldn't, and it's useful to see. Yeah. All right, well, we have uh, time for one overtime question. Uh, we do something each week on Patreon where we record a overtime bonus episode. It's called The Minimalist's Private Podcast, and you can get it right there on your regular podcast feed. It shows up as a separate podcast, and uh, we, we do this each week for our Patreon supporters because uh, we don't do advertisements because advertisements suck. And uh, so... We've decided to uh, make this podcast 100% advertisement-free, 100% listener-supported, and so we'll hop on over and do this overtime question from Katie. Here's what we're going to answer from Katie here in a moment. She says, what is your best advice for first-time meditators? <laughs> and, uh, and then we have several other similar questions to that. So we, uh, we're going to hop on over to this overtime question. We'll be right back to the regular podcast. By the way, y'all, if, if uh, you all want to listen to that bonus episode we just recorded, uh, you can head on over to theminimalists.com. Click on Donate at the top. There are a bunch of different ways to support this podcast. Um, one final question for you before we move on to our segment called Right Here, Right Now. Have you ever tried to meditate on cocaine, Dan? I <laughs> knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> no, because by the time I quit doing cocaine, um, oh, no, sorry, I, I, start, I discovered meditation years after I quit doing cocaine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. No, I'm, I'm sure it's been done. It's quite yeah. the party. You know, yeah. Maybe, maybe there's like a listener out there who can call in with a tip or trick. Four zero six two one nine seven eight three nine. 
All right, let's move on to right here, right now. So we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. And I'd like to just talk to to uh, Dan real quick and, and encourage you all to check out three things from him. You could, well, at least two for sure. Uh, his new book is called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. It's the how-to side of meditating if you are unfamiliar with where to get started i think it's a great place to go there's also a journey in there and and you talk about your wife and and sort of uh her her aversion to to meditation and then also uh learning to enjoy meditation mm-hmm. as well and and the the very how-to steps which weren't covered as much in your first book 10 percent happier which i also encourage people to check out there's sort of a uh, uh, an addendum there on, on how to meditate. But then also you have an app. It's called the 10% Happier app. And uh, I can tell you my partner, Rebecca, um, it's the only app that's ever worked for her for her meditation. Wow. And so she still uses it daily. That's really and, cool. And uh, I don't know if it's the video-based side of things. There's also audio on there as well. But but there are some tools there that have helped her that she couldn't find elsewhere. That's really great. And so if you're looking for uh, a great app to get started, it's called 10% Happier. You can find that wherever you get apps. And then last but not least, you have a, a podcast called yeah. 10% Happier. I've interviewed these jokers called the Minimalists on some. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, so I also yeah. interviewed you on Nightline, which was really cool. That aired recently. Yeah, that, oh, that was yeah. out, that was yeah. out just, uh, I think, last month. Yeah, yeah that was great. That's awesome. Thanks for having us. We got a really good response to that. Did awesome. You? Yes. We're glad to hear it. And I, I know I've said this to you before, but it's worth saying uh, here, I was talking to Matt uh, Diavolo about this before, that that the single the the media appearance that has generated the the highest number of people stopping me on the street was your film <laughs> i love not, it man. and sam harris who's also we're not related but we're friends who's also in the film has said the same thing that oh, when that thing hit over wow. the holidays a couple of holiday seasons ago it was like my twitter feed and people stopping me in airports and people stop it that blew is so cool. up dude i got you have no idea uh, and Sam, for that matter, ha- have, has no idea what you've done for us. So the fact that uh, we could do that for you, man, like that—that that really means a lot. I'm, I'm glad we could do that, man. That's that's awesome, man. It's, that is it, great. it was really, it was awesome. It was great. <clears throat> well, speaking of documentaries, uh, back to right here, right now, Ryan and I are filming our next documentary. I heard. And uh, so we're doing it in front of a live audience on February 10th. If you're in the Los Angeles area, we're doing two tapings. The 3 p.m. is already sold out, but there are a few tickets left for the 7 p.m. show. It's it's basically a follow-up to our Netflix documentary, Minimalism, and it's called The Minimalists, Less Is Now. So Ryan and I, over the last year, we went around the U.S. and Canada, and next is, is Australia, and we've given this, this talk about living a meaningful life with less. And so what we're going to do is we're finally going to capture it on, on film in this beautiful warehouse space in, in Los Angeles. And uh, I want to invite all of you to attend. So it's basically, this film's going to combine the, the in-depth talk about minimalism that that Ryan and I give, we're gonna build a documentary around around that talk and sort of go into, it, it's different from the documentary minimalism because we scratch the surface on a bunch of different topics in that. We're gonna dive really deep on sort of the, the events that got Ryan and, and me over to this thing called minimalism and living more intentionally, being these suit and tie corporate guys and sort of walking away from that. And so uh, that is the documentary that we're working on next. You can find the details of that over at our website, theminimalists.com, just click on our tour page there. It's February 10th. And, uh, oh, uh, this Friday, also on Patreon. So if you're one of our Patreon supporters, we recorded a live tour stop with our friend Colin Wright. He's the peripatetic minimalist traveler. He travels to a new country every four months, carrying with him everything he owns. We did a live event with him in Detroit, and we're going to release that exclusively for our Patreon supporters. So head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalists. And uh, that's all I got, Ryan. Dude, you're not going to tell him? 
You're not going to tell our Patreon supporters about about what we've done with our money. Oh yeah, dude, we totally got a new office. We did. Well, so new studio. Exciting. Yeah, so we, we're moving into. The I was studio. in I was in Montana, and Josh sent me pictures. I was. I was really, really excited to come back. Sorry, go ahead. So, yeah, we're working on this new studio space, and it's the reason we moved out here is to do the... We want to do a lot more things with film. And and so we found that because the documentary came out and so it resonated with so many people, uh, it we had found we had pockets, people who read our books, people who read the blog, people who listened to the podcast. But the other way that we hadn't communicated was visually that way with, with the documentary. And then also doing other types of video as well. So web series or YouTube videos, you know, mini documentaries, a lot of different things you can do with video, as you know, with, with all the TV stuff that you've done. And, and realizing like that is our next foray into bringing this message in, into more people's homes and ears and eyes is is to do this podcast of film studio so yeah we just found a, a space we're a beautiful space yeah like, I, 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 yeah I, I haven't been there yet i'm gonna go there later today and yeah. check it out but yeah i just want to say thanks to all the patreon supporters each and every one of you like it, it really helped us do this and it's a beautiful building and if it wasn't for you we wouldn't be able to do it so uh josh and i really look forward to providing some awesome content content i said it oh no oh my god fire me (laughs) we are looking forward to creating some awesome things for you uh josh and i do not do content uh we try to focus on meaningful creation so we're really looking forward to that dan anything that we want to leave the people with i I want you to guys to come on my podcast when the documentary comes out sounds great yeah it'd be great so i want you to i would love for that to happen awesome uh just in terms of leaving people with something, I would just say, um, don't beat yourself up about getting distracted. You can't hear it enough. All, you can't be a bad meditator. The only bad meditator is somebody who doesn't meditate. That's tweetable. Mm. Yes. Um, and uh, so just just do it. Even if it's just for a minute, it will make a difference. And if I'm wrong, send me a note on Twitter and tell me I'm a moron. <laughs> you ever had anyone tweet you and say that? People tell me I'm a moron all the time. But <laughs> well, ne- yeah, never, too, never but, for that. But we're, okay. <laughs> never for that. He's at Dan B. Harris on, on Twitter. You can find all the stuff, TimbersonHappier.com. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, check out his new book. Check out everything from Dan. Um, Got anything else for us, Ryan? No, man. I'm just we glad we could have Dan here to outshine us on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I, I highly doubt that, but thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks for, sure. so Thanks for being here. Guys. Here are some comments and tips from our listeners. Hello. My name is Erica from Ohio. A vegan woman at a life event in December asked about her dilemma when choosing to buy plastic vegan clothing products versus leather ones. She was concerned that pleather products are not as sustainable as leather ones because they wear out faster. And I'm calling in with some advice to help extend the shelf life of your products so they don't go into the landfill before their time. I only own one pair of black boots that have survived six brutal Ohio winters so far by following these three steps. One, if you have access to a waterproofing agent, apply it liberally. Two, If you live where it snows and salt accumulates on your boots, wipe the salt off with a wet rag or a cloth when you get home. And three, if your zipper starts snagging, WD-40 is your best friend. If you still like leather better, look into a secondhand market. Hi, this is Mike from Rochester. I'm calling in response to a a question that Stephanie from Georgia posed in um, one of your recent podcasts in uh, Georgia. She was trying to kind of like uh, rationalize her love of shopping or her enjoyment of shopping. Uh, my response and something I've kind of come up for myself is um, 
instead of buying an excess, buying um, to replace. So if you want to buy a new, if you find a shirt that's better than your current shirt or you find a piece of furniture that's better than your current piece of furniture, that will coincide with your, your values as well as your finances. So um, you'll keep what you've determined to be a reasonable amount of stuff and um, within your, your means to, to pay for it and afford it financially. Hi, my name is Katie from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and my tip is for Teresa from the Phoenix podcast. Um, she was having trouble with getting rid of some of the mementos from her dad. I was really close with my grandma, who passed away probably about 12 years ago, and I ended up with a lot of her jewelry because that, that was what I played with as a kid. And as I've gone through my minimizing journey, I've decided to keep one thing, and it's her class ring from 1948. I wear it every day. In fact, that's too small now. I can't even take it off. And everything else I have let go, and that way I can always keep her with me. However, I don't have the burden of all of her other jewelry. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also send a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear your eyes